You are listening to episode 212 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we play a major game in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week, if you didn't get a hint, we are playing a little bit of Ghost in the Shell on the PlayStation 1. With the Major, and I loved how in the opening it was like, oh, they got the actual voices. Sweet. Yeah, and um, you know, my initial thought with the voices and everything else was like, how does Pokemon not have that in this day and age? <laughs> And a PS1 game is chilling out with original voice actors. And it's not like it was this critically acclaimed, highly successful video game in Ghost in a Shell. Like, it's flipping Ghost in a Shell. Like, it's already a cult classic anime. Yeah. It's more or less a cult classic video game. And you can't get voice actors in Pokemon in 2022? Come I on, I just Nintendo. imagine, like, who would they get? Like, I'm trying to think now. I've never really thought about, like, who they would cast for voice acting in Pokemon. Like, are they going to, like, pay top dollar get, like, Troy Baker to be like the Pokemon professor. But that's the beauty of it. It's like we talked about a while back, like all the voices of Pokemon are pretty much pre-recorded from the anime. So you have that already set. You can just recycle mm -hmm. that content instead of having sounds like the amount of time it takes to code a sound. Couldn't you just code in like the audio Pikachu saying Pikachu? Dude, like, can't on. they just make AI say Pikachu now so they don't have to pay well, anyone? Well, and here's the other thing to consider. You don't even have to hire all these well-known voice actors because the the way that the you know franchise has gone over the years you might have like the one professor who might have a recurring role in all the games but for the most part you know red or blue or whatever you want to call your character's name they don't say anything no but that changes throughout like every single game is different so realistically you maybe could just that's have, the thing you can maybe have voice actor maybe it's like the thing with like zelda like having link not say anything ever and people just talk at him and he just never responds like sometimes that can be weird although you do get like dialogue choices in pokemon like i'm often choosing what i'm saying to people so that's that's kind of irrelevant but you know like it, but, it, they really need to pull that up why are we getting into this we haven't even started because, yet <laughs> i know i know we just i have to like it's the first thing that comes to mind like it was the first thing that came to my mind when i started playing that game was like why is there no voice acting in pokemon but there's voice acting in anime cutscenes in this yeah so yeah all right let's go into uh you know you can of course find us on the game our out-of-date website we are on youtube i'm actually so ryan i am scheduled on youtube right now to upload up to episode 201. So we're on recording episode 212 today. So we're only uh, like a weekish behind. A weekish behind. So I would say by about Christmas time, we will have our all of our episodes on YouTube moving forward. I'm probably thinking like a Monday release time frame um, just later in the day because I have to get that episode uploaded and all that good stuff and then schedule it out. So probably like 10 a.m. on Mondays is what I'm thinking. Uh, so earlier so we'll see. Christmas is on a Sunday this year. Oh, perfect. Which means so it'll be episodes. just a late present. Yeah, there you go. That works out perfectly. It'll be the one that was behind the tree that you didn't realize was there until you like, I don't know, you were 
taking the tree out the day after Christmas, I guess, you monster. Who takes her tree out the day after Christmas? <laughs> a monster. That's why. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens in January. Some people maybe mid-January, maybe early February. You know, just about the time where it should catch fire is about when people take it out. Yeah. We um, got to go fake tree this year. I love a real tree, but just not in the cards. We're going real, but uh, it has been raining where I live. And I'm sure it's, oh, yeah. I don't know if it's raining where you live, but it's been raining all day since yesterday and is continuing to rain today and it's supposed to rain tomorrow. So there goes my Christmas tree plans, which were nice. set to take place today. So hopefully Costco doesn't run out because uh, they're probably the cheapest <laughs> in terms of trees this year. Um, okay. So YouTube, you can find us there. You can find us on uh, Facebook at the game deflators, Instagram at the game deflators and then Twitter at game deflators. And uh, of course, interact with us on there. A lot of fun. And find us on the uh, podcast app you're listening to right now, as well as any other podcast apps that are out there, and leave us a five-star review. And if you listen to us on Spotify primarily, thank you for all the cool numbers Spotify shared with us. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So, uh, you know, Spotify is a very, I guess, a small percentage of what our listenership is. So it was really cool to see, like, those figures. And, uh, you know, when you kind of, when I look at, like, our our backend analytics, you know, it shows Spotify was like 13 countries that we at least had like one download in. And for us, I think it was in total, there was 37 countries so far this year that we've had our podcast air. Nice. Which is pretty cool. Um, some of them I kind of question, you know, like is VPNs, really... man. I got to think it's yeah. VPNs. It's got to be like, or I mean, maybe we're down ourselves. Maybe uh, or travel. I don't know. Maybe like if people listen to us and then they travel and they go somewhere cool and they're like, oh, I'm well, listening to them on the plane. And we could see like consistency on the back end. So like I know we have listenership in Australia. That's pretty consistent. In fact, one of our Australia listeners that reached out to us a while back. Um, we definitely have somebody in the Isle of Man that listens to us pretty frequently, which is actually pretty cool. Because like when I first saw them, like there's no way somebody in the Isle of Man's listening to us. And then it's like consistently built up. I'm like, oh. So they are. Uh, UK is obviously big. Um, Canada, US, of course, and uh, a couple others. But I think Australia, Canada, the US, and the UK are like our top. Oh, and Sweden apparently has been coming in. And then Isle of Man kind of uh, caps that all off. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we've had some pretty interesting uh, views. And, dude, we recorded 2.6K. Yeah, 2.6K hours in... Uh, content which no yeah not hours minutes oh was it minutes yeah oh yeah it you're, right, a, you're right it was you're a right. no 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 you're right you're right that was an hour dude i was thinking holy crap uh yeah never no, stop podcasting <laughs> every single day uh no 2.6k in minutes that we recorded uh which comes out to roughly at so far in a year it's like 48 episodes so we'll be capping off the year with mm, probably right around the 52 mark if not a little bit more Actually, no, I think we're at 52 episodes right now in the year because you have to consider all the extra ones we released. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, so pickups. I had one pickup. It was off of eBay and I bought it like a week ago and I forgot I bought it and it arrived at my door yesterday. So I got the Wizards on PSVR and basically it's PSVR, but you play as a wizard. So pretty cool. Um, you checked it out yet? No, I literally just got it yesterday. Oh, and then on top of that, my 3D printer finally was successful. Uh, so I'll dive into that here in a second. But I was able to successfully print a 3D mini. And then, uh, yeah, so my time was consumed yesterday with that. But as far as currently playing is concerned, so Sackboy's Big Adventure, uh, we are on the second world on that. 
tons of fun, dude. It reminds me a little bit of like Mario Odyssey in how it plays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously not the same, uh, but it has a lot of cool elements to it. Like uh, the different costumes you can wear, of course, which has always happened in, in Little Big Planet and now Sackboy's Big Adventure. Uh, of course, you have things like boomerangs and fish that you could slap each other with and you go around collecting orbs. And if you're like in my case, I play with my wife and, uh, you know, we'll go through the level and you're collecting all these orbs and costumes and other things throughout. And you obviously gather points. And so at the end of the, you know, thing, you have a trophy that you get. And it was like then the little big planet games initially. Uh, and so it's funny because like you could slap the person and take the trophy from their hands and run around in circles and it's it's just a good time. Like it's, it's a cutesy fun game. And I've always liked the little big planet franchise. So this is right up my alley. Like uh, I know it's, I know it's totally different, but I never got into any of the little big planet. Like I remember when I fun. first got a PS three, I got like little big planet, um, resistance and some other game, but it's like two of those are like big iconic, like PS three titles. And I just, was not into either of them and totally skipped out on the whole franchise of both. Yeah. Resistance is one that I own too. We should give now. that another try. What resistance? Sometime. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I plan to. So I recently, had we haven't beat... played a whole lot of shooters actually. No. And I'd be down to play Like I already beat resistance one. So I'd probably want to play resistance two to be selfish. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. So I have two and three. I do have plans on revisiting those. I just haven't yet. Uh, like I beat kill zone three, not too long ago. Like, well, no, it was long ago. It was last year. <laughs> I beat kill zone three and, uh, I had a good time with that, you know, catching back up on that franchise. And, you know, I got the PS4 version and all that to play too. Uh, but yeah, resistance is one I want to revisit. I need to beat little big planet three cause I beat one and two never did beat three. And then I have like, um, the cart racing one. There's like a little big planet, like cart builder. I forget what it's called. Uh, they but I have both have. Too vita games also oh yeah that's right i don't have a vita though so oh, you don't i got two no. you have two well, sell me one jeez <laughs> yeah um, we got a japanese one when we went there i uh, got gotcha. you yeah i mean it doesn't matter if it's japanese or american or north american the only difference is like the x and a is swapped on the mm. japanese version because i think it's like circle yeah circles like uh, good confirm. choice yeah circles to confirm x is to not and it's reversed here uh also we beat moss i think i mentioned that last week i don't remember if i beat it last week or the week before this no week. you guys had just been playing it because when i yeah. came over angela was still talking about it okay yeah i mean we we were pretty far in the game actually so like after we talked about the podcast like we both beat it with like maybe an hour <laughs> after we recorded i mean it's so. not a big long game but like it really had like an interesting like take on perspective at the time and i i always was interested in checking that one out well it's really cool just because of you know, you could be sitting down to play it and it's all good. But then there's like certain areas where like, oh, man, I got to stand up because I got to peek around this corner and I got to mm-hmm. look behind. And, um, oh, cool. There's like this hidden object like behind this wall. And I would have never seen it unless I got up and literally like reached my head around to see. So it's all super cool. Uh, we definitely enjoyed it. Uh, we'll play Moss 2 as well. Unfortunately, that's not getting a physical release. It's only digital. So once it hits a good sale, I'll pick that up, too. Um sucks because i'd rather have a physical of course yeah and um yeah so we beat moss had a good time with it uh, i put the pictures on instagram so you can check it out there uh at least of just a case <laughs> you know but i definitely think it's worth playing i thought it was in my opinion in terms of vr or concern honestly probably like a nine out of ten it was fun puzzles 
uh, definitely some cool enemies. The story was pretty interesting. And it, of course, has like replayability in that you can go back into levels and kind of replay puzzles and gather all the items to get 100%, etc. So uh, we didn't get 100% because we just want to go through it. But my wife intends on going through and getting 100% herself. Getting that platinum. Yeah, right. So that is uh, it on that. And I'll quickly talk into 3D printing because that was a recent pickup. Uh, so if you've never 3D printed, my biggest advice is to YouTube the hell out of everything and get an understanding of everything you do as well as testing prints. So I didn't run any of like the, the test prints per se. Um, I just kind of watched different YouTube videos that said like, here's the key settings you have to worry about. The one I wasn't sure about initially was exposure settings or exposure time. And that's supposed to be the amount of time that it is exposed like UV light. And um, essentially like there's, they say between like one and six, depending on like the temperature you're running uh, in your house. I ran it outside of my garage at like a 3.5 second exposure setting. And it ended up being pretty much what I needed, right? Like it was better than failed prints. Uh, the other thing was supports. So the little tiny like stick supports that go along. The latticing uh, that keeps the weight. Yeah. So like my, my initial like thought when I was doing it, like I had several that I created before. Right. And so basically I had three different occasions. This being the third, the first one I did three different minis, no supports at all. All of them standing 90 degrees out of all of them. Only one of them actually worked. And it got up to the arm and the arm got screwed up. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, why is it that the arm got screwed up? Why are certain areas like messed up? I just thought it was like out of the box print, right? Mm. So the second one, I tried just my personal mini. I put it at a 45 degree angle and then I put like a few supports in it because I was like, okay, I just need a few supports and it'll be fine. That one also failed. And I'm like, what the heck? That doesn't make sense. Like all of my supports developed and the hammer on my character developed, but the actual like mini itself like the base none of that came through i was like this is messed up so i did a few a little more research and then it was like okay cool like you're going to set your mini in the best possible angle to be able to get these prints you're going to put all your supports to bridge so it builds from the support up and then you know everything kind of develops from the supports versus like the base so if you have a base you're going to have a, a tougher time developing you know a mini if it's like just a base and then you start going from there because then you have to have the supports going through the actual like base so what i did is i put it like flat so if imagine like you're flat on your back yeah. that's how i set up my mini and i put all of the supports underneath it and then there's an auto support function in a photon workshop which is what i'm using now but i know there's oh, okay. i know there's like cura station i was wondering and... how you like manually do it it would be helpful if the program would do it for you i figured yeah yeah so they auto support but you still need to go in because there's instances where it doesn't hit everything. So what you do then is you have like a bar on the side and you drop it all the way down and then you start raising it up. So it shows like if it was printing, what it would start printing like. And so you could see like, okay, here's the supports that are being developed. Okay. Here's the different pieces. And then for example, a hammer, I had like a portion of my hammer that was hanging off the side and there was mm -hmm. no support. So as you continue to go up, you could see a little piece of the hammer and it was just floating with no support as it's being developed. So that mindset is okay. Well, if I'm starting from the top down, I need to have some ink or not ink, but I need to have some resin yeah, printing to, to support create that. that support. And so you go through and you're like, okay, cool. Support, support, support all around all of these pieces. And it doesn't hurt to have extra supports because they're so thin. They just, just pop off. brush it off. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I love that in videos. It looks like so satisfying. Oh dude. It's like, well, it, 
so there's a couple ways to do it. I end up curing, not curing fully. No, I did cure mine. So no, I didn't. I put it in the alcohol to wash it. And then I went ahead and removed all of my support structures and then I cured it. And then I went through and went ahead and removed a few things here and there, like little hangers. Mm -hmm. um, that was it. I got these things called flush cutters yesterday, which are like basically small little pincer shears. And it allows you to cut the supports like really close to the body. And then I went to Harbor Freight to get a uh, little um, filing things like little needle files, basically. Yeah. And so I can kind of go into small crevices, pop them out. It's super tough. It's like just hard metal files and I can pop out little pieces of support here and there. And so, I mean, you saw it and the pictures are on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Got my first 3D mini printed out, went ahead and primed it last night, did the whole slap chop method and uh, put a little bit of foliage on the bottom and it looks sweet. So I'm going to have yeah, a few touch-ups. It looks pretty good, man. You did oh. a bang-up job for your first mini, I will say. Yeah, it was not bad. So the next thing to do is dice jail. I need to make a dice jail for our group. Oh, nice, nice. You're yeah, going to make I, a big one or? Uh, probably like, mm, I would say probably about four inches in like diameter on the bottom. And then uh, a height of probably like six, roughly. So it could probably okay. fit like a full table's worth of dice if people were like, eh, screw this dice and putting it in here. Um, so that's the goal. Or I might go smaller and make little ones for everybody. So everyone has their own dice jail. I mean, I've already got one. Oh, well, you don't have my dice jail. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'll make that's another thought, too, because then it'll allow me to kind of test print like multiple prints and see how that goes. Um, and it's cool because the program will tell you like how much resin you're using and you know, how long it's going to take and everything else. So like initially it was like, you're going to use a hundred milliliters of resin to create this hollow dice jail. I'm like, that's some bullshit. So I scale it down like 75% and it's like, this will use 30 milliliters of resin. Like that's more, I like it. <laughs> yeah. So good times over here. And of course, uh, once we start, you know, my campaign with Strixhaven, uh, I'm sure people will want to print minis. And now that I have the capability of doing so, we won't have to pay $30 with shipping uh, on Hero Forge to get our minis created and painted and everything else. Here's my guy so far. Oh, yeah, that's right. You already had one. I can't really see him. You'll have to send me pictures. Yeah. But yeah. I had to All cut right. his beard out. He had like a big giant beard and I didn't want him to, mm -hmm. but it actually was like pretty easy to remove. Nice. Did you cut it with like a. Exacto just a little exacto knife. blade and i mean i've had the like you were saying with like the side shears and like little mini files like i've had all that stuff since i was in college for minis and jewelry classes and stuff so it's it's been a long time working with minis and stuff but i've never had to go in and like guess like remove parts off of one because it was like you know, it's just a beard like flush to the chest mm -hmm. and body so it was yeah. pretty easy just to kind of slip off and then give him a nice chin Nice. Yeah, that must have been pretty difficult, actually, to get that just right. So, well, I mean, paint hides everything. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, dude, I I'm think excited. I also hit him with the little green stuff. If I Yeah, so I've been looking at Etsy as well to see, like, minis that people have made, you know, with the supports already pre-built. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for new enemies and stuff down the road. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, mm, do I want to do that right now? Or do I want to maybe, like, create you know my own minis and just kind of have that stuff kind of preset for like future campaigns so yeah we'll, we'll see but that's cool yeah it's a lot of fun all right your pickups and playing uh so not much going on this week i did pick up gundam evolution i talked about that a little while ago uh when i did the podcast with the next to nothing boys 
Um, it's like the Gundam hero shooter. Uh, it's been out for PC for a while, but it just came out on console. So I downloaded that. I haven't even booted it up to play it yet, but you know, it's there. And then following up on my Pokemon journey, really not a lot of Pokemoning going on for me this week. I think I did like one gym and I've been kind of like here and there where I've got time this week. I've just been doing the classes. So you've got a school and you've got the world and you, everything you're supposed to do is out in the world. You know, like the gyms, the team star battles, the uh terror raids everything's out there in the world but back at the school there's like a lot of npcs you can interact with you have like all these different teachers that teach these different classes and each one of the classes is like just a little couple minute like interactive cutscene. i mean by interactive cutscene, you just click a to keep the dialogue going through and make a choice at one point but they'll tell you like a little bit about this or a little bit about that like the math class is like Oh, type effective, you know, will do double damage or resistance will do half damage, like little tips and tricks that the game never really tells you. You just know from playing Pokemon for so long. Like, I don't ever remember Pokemon coming out and being like fire moves. Well, I guess, no, the guy at the gyms would say that, huh? Um, He'd be like, rock is really tough. You need water to be super effective or something like, like the that. originals, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I remember in like, let's go Eevee. It would make you bring like a type effective Pokemon or something. To yeah, the I gym. And I think Arceus had a very similar, you know, tutorial. I mean, they do it every Pokemon game, I think, because you're going to have kids that are like, that's their first game in the installment. Yeah. Um, you know, not every kid is, you know, not every 10 year old or eight year old is running around right now with a Game Boy Color playing Pokemon Red. Yeah. You know? So I like this way of doing it where it kind of tutorializes all the things they're in different subjects. Like the home ec teacher teaches you about the cooking mechanic and the history teacher teaches you a little bit about the world and some of the areas. So you could take like four classes and then there's a midterm where you get tested on like what was in all four of the classes and then it, I guess it keeps going on from there because now I've got like a lesson five for some of these classes. But after you pass the midterm, you get like a handful of experience candies. And it's not like I really need the experience candies, but I'm just trying to, you know, not just shun away parts of the game, even though they're not like the main part and just rush through it. Like I'm trying to spend time and enjoy it. Uh, they did just release a patch and they're, you know, apologize this week about the performance and saying you know hey we hope this gets better but that was nintendo not game freak so yeah i saw that as well and um i definitely think um you know it's nintendo kind of owning to the fact that like hey we screwed up but not admitting it at the same time but it's just... not nintendo it's game yeah. freak nintendo does own a portion of pokemon though it's well, yeah, but they didn't Pokemon build company. the game. It's not a Nintendo first party title. Like, I mean, it's sort of is, but like Game Freak's the one who made the game. They're the one that needs to patch it. Nintendo can apologize all day, but somebody at Game Freak needs to clock in and do the coding. Well, and unfortunately, that is uh, not likely to happen, uh, you know, on a regular basis through them. I so. mean, hopefully they could do something, but that's about it for my Pokemon journey this week. Um, 
we'll see how far I get. I don't know if I'm going to finish this one all the way through, but I was really, really digging it that first couple of weeks. I just need to kind of get back into it uh, and pick it up again. Yep. So I did play a little bit of Vampire Survivor and got like a little bit next level on it. So it's it's one of those games where it just seems like kind of a nothing time waster. And then you kind of do something and get a little bit further and then unlock something. And I was kind of reading a little bit and you kind of have to have an idea of a goal when you're going to go in because it's kind of like a make your own fun because the game's not just going to lead you to where you need to go. Mm hmm. So I unlocked like a couple more levels and some new items in that and uh, did some experimenting. So that was kind of fun. That's about it. That's, that's pretty much it for me this week. Well, a lot more eventful in my gaming this week, yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. So let's look at our overall topics this week before we dive into our discussion topic that we like to do. Mm. Uh, and also uh, John's weekly One Piece uh, discussion. So what? Oh, I see. I, I like, forgot. I, I forgot about it. I was like, oh, one piece. <laughs> I see you like twiddling your finger. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? What's he oh, doing? I got a spinny thing on it. <clears throat> okay. So uh, we're going to talk today about Nintendo and it caring about the Smash Bros fan tournament or the dispute that's going on with that. If you haven't read about that, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, Kojima teasing his new game. And uh, Xbox, they have banned approximately 5 million accounts uh, and they're taking other actions on gaming toxicity and reshaping their gaming community. So a uh, little bit more to come on that. But our first thing is our discussion topic. And uh, you know what? No, 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 no. Let's talk one piece first, Ryan, because okay. <clears throat> I, oh, I am... I've got a one piece thing. OK, you, you start first. Oh, you got like a thing. Yeah, so every year for the last, let's see, since 2015, I've been ordering the Hobonichi planners. Um, originally, they were only in Japanese, and then a few years ago, they started coming out in English. But this is uh, they're designed by the guy, I can't think of his name right now, uh, Earthbound guy. Um, so I got... The new One Piece weekly. That's pretty cool. Yeah, daily planner for this year. They were sold out in the English, so I wound up getting the Japanese, but that's fine. I don't really wind up reading much of the text and stuff, and I only kind of use it for like half the year anyways. But I love it, and I love One Piece, and I'm so happy to have some cool new One Piece merch. You can start writing down all the games that you don't finish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, go uh, ahead, John. All right, so One Piece wise, I just or I'm probably about midway through Punk Hazard Island right now. Okay, is where I'm at, and so I the whole thing with Tashigi and uh, Smoker, yeah, and like swapping bodies is so flipping hilarious. <laughs> um, I absolutely love that. But the thing uh, yeah. with, with what's his name, uh, the clown guy, I forget his name off. The top oh, of my head. Uh, Caesar. Yeah, Caesar Clan. So, do you his, hate his laugh too? Yes, his shoo do 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 do. I'm like, you know what? At least it's better than like she 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 she. But it's so annoying, and like they do it on purpose. Clearly, like he clearly did that to annoy the hell out of people. Because like there's one scene where he's just like shoo do 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 do, and you see the tongue is just like nonstop waving, and I'm like. He did this absolutely 100% on purpose to annoy me specifically. That's what <laughs> happened here. 
but I like the whole thing with like Trafalgar Law and him uh, yeah. just announcing like, oh, I'm gonna, man. yeah, I'm going to team up with you, Luffy, and we're going to take down like, uh, you know, and they haven't obviously revealed who it is yet, but one of the, the emperors of the sea. So who do you think it's going to be? Blackbeard. Like, that's the only that I mean, well, no, that's the logical one would be Blackbeard, but um you're getting to like like not that all of one piece isn't great but like now you're getting to the part where i had read for a while and then taken quite a while off from reading Mm -hmm. and then jumped back in and like kind of blitzed it again for a while like things really start picking up and getting awesome from here yeah well i mean dude it's been picking up and getting awesome since uh saba odi well yeah but i've been waiting for you to get to punk hazard to get to the next part of the oh, story yeah. it's it's so good and like the assassins and everything the uh what do you call them uh the yeti the cool yeti brothers the cool yeti brothers so that's it's been pretty cool overall um so that's where i'm at with it and i am of course still having a ton of fun it's like almost episode 600 which is bonkers how fast i've gone through this and then one other thing is i've of course been keeping up with chainsaw man and i know you're not so i'm not going to do any spoilers but i will say episode eight for anybody that's out there you know if you know <laughs> i my mouth dropped like or my jaw dropped like within i don't know third of the way through the episode and it did not pick up until after the credits rolled Dang. for that up it was insane and yeah. i know like People that have read the manga are obviously like, you know, they're looking forward to seeing people's reactions to that since they're like so far ahead. And I'm not I'm not reading the manga. I'm not trying to spoil it for myself. So I'm so excited to see what happens on Tuesday. And dude, you've got to start that. It's so well, good. I just I, I want to wait for it all to be done. Like I've seen the first episode and I've read like the first three chapters of the manga in the past. Mm-hmm. because i thought i wanted to read it all before i saw the anime but i kind of decided for this one like i want the whole thing to be out so that i can binge it and then i can go back and read the manga yeah i probably won't read the manga that's just not my flavor on things like so with one piece for example like once i'm fully caught up and i'll probably transition to the the japanese uh sub version or you know english sub uh i will not be reading it i will just be kind of keeping up as the anime comes out uh unfortunately because it's just not it's not my cup of tea to sit back and read manga. I could barely sit down and read a damn uh, D book or magazine, let alone a manga. Well, so. so like the thing that really changed it for me was like the iPad was great for a long time, but like the galaxy fold phone is like the best for reading manga. I just can't do it. Not, not something dude. I haven't read. A, I honestly have not read a manga since I was in high school. Yeah. So you're talking, and I was probably like earlier on in high school. So we're talking like 20 years ago, I guess. Oh, my God. I mean, that's yeah. that's what everybody's prime manga reading is like. I have my one complete series of manga that I started in high school, and that's Love Hina. And it's probably not stood up to time the best, but I still proudly display it on my shelf. And I bought a Game Boy game for it to put next to it when I was in Japan just for shits and gigs nice yeah uh it was the ultimate like i read it for the articles kind of excuse (laughs) at the time kind of the same reason we all watched uh ghost in a shell when we were younger it we're just we're just reading or we're watching it for the action that's that's all yeah just uh yeah so 
All right, our discussion topic. Uh, Jeff Keighley said that the Game Awards this year are going to be significantly cut back uh, on runtime and reveals. And so uh, you had asked me, what makes a presentation worthwhile and how long and how many reveals should you have? Like, um, we see this across the board with, like, every, not just, like, Game Awards thing, but, like, I feel the most pressure on Nintendo. Like, any time they're, like, there's going to be a Direct, everybody's, like, oh, they're finally going to show off Silk Song, And then they never do. And it's, like, most of the Directs are, like, you know, maybe, like, 12 announcements and like half of them are indies nobody has really heard of and then there's like maybe one big reveal at the end but like because it's a nintendo direct usually it's still only like an eight out of ten kind of excitement level game like they're not like just throwing out the big killer game announcements like every time so when i think about like presentations like this and the shows and like what nintendo does and what sony does etc i have to say like it's premium edition games is honestly probably one of my more favorites in how they do their directs and how they do their announcements and trailers and you know i'm not trying to show any bias here like this is just truth love you barry Um, yeah love you barry (laughs) uh so the way that they approach their directs in that We're going to show a trailer, but we're going to talk about what's coming out. We're going to talk about the game, occasionally having like the director on the back end, like just kind of overlaid, like discussing the material, what's kind of being shown on screen. There's just a lot more like, I don't know, like hominess to it or Mm -hmm. like it it just has a good vibe when you're watching it and you're getting the content that you want and, and you get excited for the game. Right. Whereas when it comes down like game awards, it's oh, Bethesda has this new trailer for Starfield coming out. Let's take a look at it. And then it's, we're going to sit down with the director for 30 minutes. <laughs> like, obviously I'm just, you know, exaggerating, but like we're going to sit back to the director and just allow them to like just vomit on the screen as to what's going on. Like I would much rather like see Starfield and have a director talk through it for three minutes about some of the cool features that you can anticipate and blah, 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 blah. And then cut to the next thing. And that's that's ideally like the flow I would like versus like this. Okay, let's do a couple game awards. Let's show all the trailers for these games. Okay, let's spit out four trailers for these upcoming titles. Oh, let's just talk to this random indie developer and then maybe have some cut material for them. But let's just have like full focus on them the whole time. I don't like that. And then Nintendo is probably honestly one of the worst, in my opinion, of the way that they approach it. So you'll have like the entire thing is subbed, obviously, (laughs) for or like not even subbed. It's uh. Uh, they talk over um, dub trans translator. No, they translate it. So like you'll have the well, Japanese got somebody else dubbing yeah, over yeah. the Japanese guy. Yeah. So you hear Japanese kind of background and you have this, the you know, dub over top of that. Um, so that, that always is kind of interesting. I mean, there is a uniqueness to it. You know, it kind of does give you that Nintendo Japan vo- like feel as you're mm. listening. But Nintendo is, like I said, one of the, in my opinion, one of the worst when it comes to it because they will unleash like, six trailers in a row on their directs and i think sony's kind of does this too uh in fact i think all of them really do it when it's just like sizzle reel sizzle yeah, reel, yeah. sizzle reel and it's like yep. okay how many games uh-huh. was that just now did we just watch like yep. six games in a row and there's like no explanation it's just like 
oh, that looks really cool. Like, and maybe one catches your attention. Like, oh, wow, that was actually a really cool trailer. Like, I want to learn more about that. Nope. Here's the next game. Here's the next game. Here's the next game. Oh, first party Nintendo title. Let's talk about Mario for the upteenth time versus like this unique new JRPG that might have come out or this unique like mech shooter that you're announcing. Like, why not talk about those games and put some more light on those indie games coming out than like your own crap that we already know about like well we hear about it every does single do time a lot of like just here's an indie direct where it's all indie stuff yeah they do and I, I praise them for that on doing the indie direct type of stuff um but everybody's but, disappointed in those because there's nothing there's nothing really to sink your sometimes. teeth into like you need <laughs> a balance one thing can't just carry and then like the i don't know i think that the more I see recently, I feel like they've been getting more into showing gameplay. I feel like we've kind of gone away from the era where it was like all just CG trailers. And it's like, cool. I have no idea what that game's going to be. Like, I feel like last year it was a little bit better than years before. So I hope that that continues. Like if they're going to show less games and have less runtime, let's see more gameplay for things that are going to be coming out soon. Like I really liked, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Xbox or something. They were like, here's only games that are going to be out in the next six months. Yeah. Like that's way better for me than, you know, here's the splash screen for elder scrolls that you'll see us talk about in three years. Well, and then like, you know, a lot of these companies like Nintendo and Sony, it's like, they'll say uh, like they'll show gameplay right but it's like gameplay was captured on a pc yeah right like and versus again premium edition games when i see those like i know when i'm watching the gameplay on screen that that is what i'm going to be playing yeah um you know there's there's no question mark as to the product that i am seeing on the screen and so that's one of the things so that in my opinion is like i said my favorite would be premium edition games and then, you know, I've kind of already reiterated several times, like my preference for how that goes on a, a bigger show. Or, you know, there is kind of the complete opposite way we haven't talked about. And that's like Devolver, like where it's this huge presentation and it's like got a story and a cast and there's like set pieces and, and things going on and it gets crazy. Like, and then they try to incorporate like a couple trailers into it. Like, I don't think, anybody or the industry is ready for multiple publishers to be doing that. And I know that devolvers kind of gotten a little bit out of hand. Like maybe their last one wasn't as good as some of their earlier ones. Cause it kind of went on a bit, but that's kind of a fun thing too. Like, I feel like there's still more room out there for things like, uh, when Nintendo did like the little star Fox, like puppet, skit thing like yeah you can get a lot more creative within these presentations to capture our attention and not just like guy talking in front of screen sizzle real trailer yeah no and i i think it, it depends on the company obviously devolver digital does go a little bit above and beyond and, and wonky at times with how they do it but i mean it's that's kind of their la- like their big hurrah right like they put every all their eggs into one basket with that one big presentation and yeah. so it makes sense that they would do it that way. Um, you know, one other thing I want to ask you here, because like I keep seeing it a lot, is reviews. And, you know, how how seriously you should take reviews from like 
Game Informer and IGN and just like your general YouTuber, right? So, and the reason I bring it up is I've seen a lot of people say, oh, well, should I play this game? And, um, you know, the reviews say it's like really good, but when it comes out, you know, you end up having a situation like Callisto Protocol, for example, it's got some decent reviews. And like, there was this one guy I saw online uh, the other day that said, oh, I need to return this game because the reviews are bad. And then everybody was saying, well, you know, why are you like, why are you listening to reviews? Like, you should just play the game and enjoy it. And so, in my opinion, just kind of hearing that, like, and I don't know how you take reviews when you see them, but I look at gaming reviews as more so guidance into what I can expect for negative aspects. So, like, if a review comes through and it's like a six out of 10 and they cite X reasons, I can then kind of digest that info to say, okay, should I wait a little bit to pick up this game so some patches can come out? Or am I going to be okay to play this title based on the existing reviews? So if it's like, hey, there's frame rate issues that make the game unplayable in certain aspects, that's probably something that's going to piss me off. But if it's like, oh, the controls were fairly difficult to get used to and the lack of cutscenes and voice animation was not... 100% up to par of my expectations, but the story was good. Like if I see that type of review, I'm more likely to say, okay, I can pick it up. And I'm, I'm using that as kind of a base point. And I think that's where a lot of the gamers I see like on Facebook and, and other threads that I'm on, they just, they try to say like, there's one extreme over another, right? Like don't watch reviews or watch reviews. Like there's no, it seems like nobody is ever in the middle on like, what to actually do with reviews. So, I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube people who do reviews on games and a lot of them take very different approaches. But one thing that I appreciate about most of the people that I watch is they're more take it with a grain of salt. This is just my opinion. You know, like there's something here Like if you're playing on this console or, you know, maybe this is just a PC issue. Like they're all pretty upfront about, you know, not being the end all be all statement. And I think that that's really important to keep in mind. And sometimes people just look at a review and they just look at the hard numbers or they just look at the faults and they don't get that idea that, you know, this could be subjective or this could be on a different console than I have. And they might not do, you know, all the looking in. So I would say if you're going to look at reviews, make sure you trust the person or like, you know, their content speaks to you in a way that you think their opinion is valid. And that also they're being pretty thorough, you know, because a lot of people can say, you know, here's what's wrong with this game and never give you what's good with that game. Yeah. You just think it's all downhill and I'm not, I'm not really in the habit of buying a whole lot of games anymore like I used to be, but you know, neither of us is usually the person who's out there buying every game day one. And a lot of times buying games day one nowadays is not the way to do it because you're going to have to wait like a month for all the patches to come through for that game to be even really worth jumping into. So I think that reviews are a good early warning for people to know whether it's worth picking something up day one. 
And some people, you know, who are really adverse to spoilers and stuff and just can't be on the internet without seeing the end of things accidentally and ruining for themselves. Like those are the people who are really the ones I feel for the most that are like, I have to get this. I have to play it right away. Otherwise I can't exist because I'll run into something and the whole thing will be ruined. Like I've got nothing for you. You're just in your own boat. You got to deal with it. But like personally, I was really excited for Callisto Protocol and then seeing the reviews for it. I was just like, as soon as I watched my, I've been watching a ton of skill up. He's like my favorite reviewer right now. And I love to wake up in the morning and watch his content and just have a good time. And I was so disappointed, but like he wasn't talking about like it in just one way. He said, the graphics in this game are absolutely incredible. The performance in this game is not so great. You know, well, so it, that is exclusive to PC, actually. So to well, PS- and that's what he was playing on. He was yeah. saying, you know, I'm playing this on a PC. I tested on two different PC hardwares. Here's all the settings that I went through. Like he gets in depth on like how he tried to adjust all the sliders. He tried it on 4K. He tried it on 1440p. He tried it on 1080p and went through all like the stuff like a digital foundry is like the the top tier like for watching and getting performance information on new games like if you just want to know if a game's going to be a, you know a, a buggy mess and you don't want like details on like the story or anything like that go to digital foundry like that's a pretty good neutral place to get some good tech review information um before you buy and play but like story and stuff like that, like you don't get to return a game because people didn't like the story. You don't really get to return a game because you weren't into the mechanics either. Like if a game is just broken and doesn't work, that's when you get to return a game. Otherwise, do your homework, be a good consumer, you know, don't buy into the hype and do something because they said to. Yeah. That's cool. that's really, I think, where reviews come in is like, you know, edge cases or people that really need to, you know, be told an opinion because they could go either way. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the other things that have happened in the gaming community as of late. So uh, this was Levi Winslow at Kotaku, and it's uh, Nintendo says it cares about Smash Bros fans as tournament dispute continues. So uh i'll I'll let you kind of kick this one off but the preface said um you know there was uh basically a a global smash bros tournament that was supposed to be happening and then nintendo uh not nintendo but they ended up canceling and then cited nintendo and this uh, big panda uh gaming is like the reason it was canceled and we shared the initial article um which was like nintendo cancels due to ip reasons or something like that is what i shared like a few days back and then we just got this updated article that came through that goes into a little more detail on what the heck is happening so yeah. Ryan, go on so this is like an absolute nightmare these people have been organizing this like tournament like all year there's been like subsequent tournaments leading up to this is like the finals it's got like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar prize uh it was set to take place december 9th through the 11th And on the 29th of November, they got a notice from Nintendo saying, nope. And now Nintendo is coming back and basically saying, we didn't say that. We didn't say that at all. We didn't say they had to cancel this. This was totally their choice. And, you know, 
on one hand, I guess, you know, the company um, could be lying. You know, maybe Video Game Boot Camp didn't have everything in order and there was just something that was not going to let this go off without a hitch. And like rather than having it blow up in their face, you know, they came up with this convenient excuse to get out of it and blame Nintendo and blame another tournament organizer. Or Nintendo's a big greedy corporation that treats, you know, most of their free advertising and content creators in the world like garbage. And they knew that they could just cancel this and then deny it after the fact. And there would be no blowback. Like there's nothing that anybody's going to be able to do against them. And these tournament organizers, like you think they really want to be like refunding all of this, you know, that went in like, the donations for the prize, like where all that came from, like the arrangements for the hotel, like you don't just put on a tournament and not have to get a whole bunch of legwork and stuff done and already paid people a ton of money. And now you have to go back on stuff and ruin people's days. Like this is, this is a so, huge thing for them to have done on their own and Nintendo just to not really have actually done anything about, like, I don't believe that for a minute. So pulling the original IGN article uh, that I had put on on insert really Twitter, I think it said in a statement at IGN, Nintendo said that its its decision was solely based on our assessment of the proposal submitted by SWT and our evaluation of their unlicensed activities. Any partner that we grant a license to has to meet high standards as we require when it comes to health and safety of our fans. It's also important that a partner adheres to brand and IP guidelines and conducts itself according to professional and organizational best practices. We use the same approach to independently assess all partners. If we discover that a partner is doing something inappropriate, we will work to correct it. So I think the key thing here is like, honestly, I kind of take Nintendo's side on this. In that, you know, normally I'm I'm against like the whole situation, right? But Smash Bros is a big IP for them. And it's also from a branding perspective, being in marketing, you don't want somebody out there throwing around your IPs and throwing around your branding and everything else without any sort of guidance or any sort of oversight. So it my thought is that yes, they were organizing this on the side. They had a number of tournaments that led up to it. And maybe Nintendo was not fully in the know. No, they've been working. They'd been working with Nintendo all year, like leading up to this. They had submitted their documentation and stuff to get like the licensing agreement back in April. Nintendo had eight months to address this and they decided to address this like a week and a half before it was going to happen. Did Nintendo actively take a look at things and did this organizer jump the gun on hosting their tournaments prior to Nintendo giving the full approval? And but it they've sounds been like doing no. it all year. Yeah, but and then also there's the other company, the Panda. Yeah, like, but they're licensed to do it with Nintendo. Yeah, but their CEO did like stuff that was unbecoming of like they had to like go back and try to like get a handle on their own thing. So like Nintendo's like saying, hey you got to meet these standards while they sponsor another company that isn't. Well, I mean, just kind of going back to that quote, though, we use the same approach to independently assess all partners. If we discover that a partner is doing some in, in a, something inappropriate, we will work to correct it. So here's the thing. This organization was not an approved partner of Nintendo. They were in the process of getting 
approval and which is why they submitted the information. Now, all of the stuff that they hosted, Nintendo may not have been in the know for a lot of what was already hosted, right? So, or maybe Nintendo says, hey, host it, but there's a risk that it's going to backfire. And when it comes time for us to do our final review process, you may not be able to host your final tournament. So we don't know all the ins and outs, but what it sounds like to me is okay, this, well, company, this company jumped the gun, I think. That's and- all... That's all what Nintendo said in the past. What about what they actually said here now, where they said, we didn't say they had to cancel it. That was all their decision. That's what Nintendo's saying now officially. And and that sounds like a bunch of bullshit. Or take it from this light. Nintendo came to them and said, you submitted your proposal. Here's everything we require you to do before said tournament. So upholding X brand standards, doing X, Y, and Z. And then you may host your tournament. They but didn't you're not say that. They no, said, I, you can host the tournament. We're not going to stop you. It's your decision to cancel this. Well, why would they and, decide that, to cancel a, okay. their own event two so, weeks before it's going to happen? So hear me out fully here. All right. If Nintendo said, these are the things that you need to do to host said tournament. The organizer comes back and says, well, we, we don't have time to do that. We don't have the funds or money to do that. But that's Nintendo, not what happened. I hold on. And then Nintendo comes back and says, okay, you can host the tournament, but you have to remedy these situations. Otherwise, you know, you can't. So they, as an organization, the super smash bros organization decided we're not going to host the tournament because Nintendo says we can't like, that's the excuse. So I'm no, kind of that si- would be fine if that's what happened, but it's not. Nintendo didn't say you have to do X, Y, and Z to have this tournament. From what they we said, know. No, they said they're allowed to have the tournament. We are doing nothing to stop them. This was their decision to cancel the tournament two weeks before when last week they were like, Nintendo said we can't do this. Like this is just Nintendo being an evil corporation like all corporations. Uh, Nintendo doesn't care about its fans. It cares about its fans dollars. Like they already do this across the board, striking free, you know, publicity online, like content creators on YouTube and stuff like this is Nintendo Nintendoing at their finest. I don't know, man, this one, this is an interesting one for sure. Like, I I don't think that's truly the case in this. I do think that, you know, we're not getting the full script of everything that was said, everything that was issued via email. It's not like we're getting Nintendo's exact, you know, letter to them stating what's happening. And a Nintendo, just a rep saying, we told them they can host the tournament and that we're not going to stop them from hosting it. Right. Who knows? Maybe there's other stuff on the back end. But you can't say we told them they could host the tournament and then also say, no, we told them that they had to do these things. Otherwise, they wouldn't be allowed to host the tournament. You can't say it's both ways. Well, remember, some of these articles do have excerpts in in terms of what's in there to kind of help justify what's being written in the content. So that's something to consider. But, I, you know, I, I really, I'm sorry, but I got to stick with Nintendo on this one, as sad as it may sound coming from me. At the end Not of the day. Dude. <laughs> look, I mean. You there need was to join a fight club, John. I should. There was an approval process. It took eight months, obviously, for the approval process. Yes, they were supposedly working with Nintendo this whole time. That's what we understand. It is possible for companies to change policy. They were not an official partner at all at any point. So really, at the end of the day, 
Nintendo could issue a cease and desist. And that's here's what an, one person's saying. Here's another question. And, and now there's and now Nintendo's saying the opposite. I mean, it's obviously a shit fest to begin with. Why do they even need it? Like, like, should they just be allowed to have a tournament for games that everybody owns? Well, like, profitability wise, like, are they doing this tournament to make profit? And if they were doing this as like, you know, obviously Nintendo can still, hey, it's our product. We don't want you marketing it, all of that. They're not selling it. No, they don't have to sell it. But if they're making any sort of income off of it, then they're they're profiting off of Nintendo IP. It doesn't matter if they're selling a Nintendo product or not. Like if they're profiting off of a tournament for a Nintendo IP, then that would be a reason for nintendo to say you can't do this you're not a licensed partner and i'm sure these licensed partners nintendo that do these tournaments have some sort of agreement and kickbacks and other things that go back to nintendo i mean nintendo's the company that like got smash removed from evo which is the biggest fighting tournament in the world like if nintendo really cared about its fans and the people who play smash they would want them to be able to do it Nintendo doesn't need these tournaments, though. That's the, at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. Like, Nintendo is going to sell Nintendo games and Smash Bros, regardless of if Smash World occurs or if it's at Evo or anything like that. Like, the word's already out there. Everyone loves Smash Bros. We don't need a bunch of tournaments to show people that Smash Bros exists. So, Nintendo is more or less just saying, look, we have certain guidelines, we have certain policies and things that we stand by as an organization we're going to host our own tournaments or partner with people to host tournaments and that's how we're going to manage it and they are 100 in their right to do so in how that's handled um right. well, just give all of seem. your power to the companies john I, dude it's their property like it's not it's not fan i think that's the thing that we we all have to kind of get over sometimes too and like the the whole concept of like roms like is it is it nice to have them? Yes. Do I love ROMs? Absolutely, because there's tons of games out there that Nintendo is never going to release again, and I'm not going to have access to. But at the end of the day, it is still Nintendo's property. Like only if they it defend it, which they only if they only if they defend it, right? Um, so I think we as fans need to understand that if Nintendo is shutting down a tournament or Nintendo is not moving forward with one thing or another it is 100 within their rights to do so we don't own that property they do um well okay so. so what about nintendo cracking down on people doing fair use nintendo doesn't really give a shit about fair use they'll copyright strike you because you use nintendo stuff no matter what well i mean there is fair use policy and and arguments to be made like if you took certain nintendo characters and made artwork um that was your own unique artwork it's still likeness and image of Nintendo. So yeah, there's fair use, but if with fair use, you can't profit. So there's still no profitability. So if you're an artist and you're selling items in an artist alley for like Metroid, yeah, Nintendo could still technically shut you down because you're using their likeness and image and everybody knows. Well, no, oh, but I mean Samus. like, I, I mean like if you're making a YouTube video doing a review of a Nintendo game and they strike you down for using yeah, see, imagery from that game, like, that's bullshit and they do that all the time yeah that type of stuff is bullshit because well see and here's the difference though and that could be fought back because technically it's journalism and you have 100 percent right to said journalism but um i do think there might be some well we'd have this goes into like law stuff at this point right like you'd have to look up to see if 
usage of certain images can be utilized in that because I don't hundred percent know that if you're writing an article or doing a video or anything like that, that you're technically allowed to use imagery and footage of somebody without express written approval. I mean, you can, if you're doing like transformative or just like factual reporting or whatever but can, but the question isn't necessarily on the reporting and the free speech tied to that. It's on the usage of imagery and videos and content that you technically don't own legally. What is fair use on that? So I don't know that policy. I don't, I don't dive into it. We don't frankly use imagery like that anymore. Um, so I wouldn't know right off the bat, you know, what the ruling would be on that, but I would imagine Nintendo is probably in the wrong on striking down videos and YouTube is a low hanging fruit to strike down that stuff. Yeah. Cause like if you're on a national like IGN or something, like I'm sure they partner with Nintendo in, in a lot of respects, but like I just, you know, there are certain areas where it's going to happen and where it's not. And YouTube's just an easy, Hey, copyrighted material. And that's it. Yeah. I just, I get heated about this because it's just like, it always feels so wrong to me that like people that love something that you create so you know they want to make it bigger they want to be a part of it they want to be you know doing things to showcase it and show it off and show how much they love and appreciate it and then you're just like big middle finger like yeah, i just I, mean, I get so upset about that i mean dude, even though you're about right past, about a lot of it i like look i i might be right about it but it doesn't make nintendo any less of an asshole of a company. Yeah. Like there's still like, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like fans should be allowed to do that type of stuff. And fans should be allowed to express themselves and enjoy the product and host tournaments and do all this stuff. But from a legal standpoint, I would imagine Nintendo is correct in what they're doing. And we shouldn't have these expectations, especially year over year over year that Nintendo continues to do stuff like this. We should stop dropping this expectation. Like, Oh, maybe just once Nintendo will let it happen because they never do. So why do we keep going back to it? You know, like these companies, like if that's what they do year in and year out to these tournament organizers and artists and YouTubers and everything else, then screw them. Don't promote their product in that respect. Like, you know, there's, if you're going to get shut down then then stop using their content altogether. And yeah, you know, over time that stuff does kind of sting, you know, if consumers aren't as excited about your product, that goes a long way over time. Yeah. So cool. All right. Well, uh, let's dive into our next piece, which is Kojima teasing his new game and some more. Uh, this is uh, Metal Gear, <laughs> Metal Gear Informer. Now talk about IP lawsuits, right? Um, so Metal Gear Informer uh, and is by Metal Gear Informer. So this will be pretty quick. Basically, Kojima it's shared a bunch of tweets. Yeah, he, he had a bunch of tweets. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like with Trump back in the day, right? Trump says something. Everybody goes to Twitter to see what's up. Kojima tweets something. The gaming community gathers and wonders what the hell's going on. So basically, he had a few like images. He tweeted like black background, white symbols, um, which kind of was like Metal Gear-esque. Actually, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's like Metal Gear type stuff. But it's obviously not that. Um, and then he has another one where he's like, you know, directing on scene and he's got like the little director white thing, the little clippy board, whatever the hell it's called, uh, you know, the action thing. Mm -hmm. And of course there's another image of him with a death stranding sweater on. So like tons of teasers kind of going, uh, in his tweets and Kojima likes to tease us. Obviously I think it's death stranding too, or something tied to the death stranding world. Now the main 
question I have though is because he is doing like that Xbox Cloud game thing as well, apparently. Uh, and if that's the case, it probably isn't Death Stranding uh, because of that. So it could be anything, but I kind of had this feeling like it's something tied to the Death Stranding world just because of the sweater symbols that are used, or maybe it's just straight up a new IP altogether, but it's not tied to anything that we already know. Right. I know. Maybe he's, I, I don't know. They're doing like mocap work. I don't know who it's Shioli uh, Kutsuna that he's like in the pictures with that is the mocap performer. So I, you know, I never thought that the game director would necessarily be there for like the mocap performance recording, but maybe it's just Kojima is being so hands-on and, you know, I know that not everybody has the same level of involvement in every game, but it's cool to see that he's there with them. Like, you know, he's got his own camera there and he's like pointing and, you know, like giving direction. Like he's very involved in what's happening, you know, even at this stage and at this point. So I think that's neat. Or it's kind of like Instagram modeling and he's just kind of hanging back like, hey, take a few photos of me in the scene. <laughs> and then like, then you guys do the work. Like, All right, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Flew in, got the pictures, heading back to Japan. Yeah. Or I could just imagine like his assistant behind him like, okay, how about this shot? No, 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 no. Here, like, let's get the lighting perfect. Like, I just need to here. Let me get this, this little snap chart and everything. Let me sit in a chair for a moment, you know, look like I'm doing something and I'm going to head out and leave it to the dev team. <laughs> all right uh next thing here is uh, xbox bans almost 5 million accounts takes over or takes other actions against gaming toxicity and they're reshaping the gaming community this is uh benzinga.com and it's a uh, floor or uh, who wrote this one and so basically when you look at you look at it from a toxicity standpoint and complaints that have come through uh long story short microsoft um from their last time they did an evaluation to now they had, I think it was 33 million complaints um, that were issued via the system, whether it be like unsportsman, unsportsmanship, um, bullying, a variety of different things that have been reported um, to the system, which is down 36% from where it was the last time they did an evaluation, which is pretty interesting. So uh, it shows that their actions that they are taking through banning of certain types of accounts is actively working, which surprise, surprise, right? If you ban accounts that are obviously uh, doing toxic activities on your platform, then you're likely to experience less of that, especially as you continue to ban said accounts. So a uh, bulk of what they banned were for like cheating. And then there was some actually bullying was actually below fraud in terms of banned accounts. Um, but yeah, they're just banning for a variety of reasons. And honestly, I'm all for it. Well, and the, the real key in this article is that they're saying that uh, a reason for those declines in complaints is that these uh, 4.7 million 4.78 million bans were done with proactive sanctions through a system. So these were bans that were issued before any complaint was actually even submitted. So Xbox has been increasing its technological ability to kick out assholes without anybody even having to point a finger, which is awesome because like gaming is a great place. And if we could like throw all the assholes and racists out, It'll get even better because gaming's a luxury, not a right. So, you know, nobody wants to 
get on to listen to you rage about how upset you are with this, that, or the other, like get on, play the game, you know, be a good sport about it or get the hell out. And if Xbox can do that and push that and get other companies to start doing this more, I think we could see, you know, hopefully a change in the future and what gaming looks like and what people think about gamers. I would love a future in gaming with that type of oversight where shadow bans just occur. Like you could be in the middle of a game and Ooh. if and if you curse somebody out and just tell them like, oh, you're such a shitty player, all of a sudden it's like you can keep playing for a moment. It just triggers and it's like, nope, shadow ban for three days or 24 hours, whatever it is. And I think honestly, 24 hours would be the appropriate time frame for something like that to be like, eh, yeah, you, you know. need like different levels of severity. Like you start throwing around like you slurs know, and stuff like yeah. racial slurs and yeah, or like minutes and minutes of like just abuse. But like, ah, fuck me. Like that yeah, should be fine. There, yeah. There's certain levels where they're going to have to fine tune it. But like, you know what? If somebody needs to get put in timeout, like, you know what? Don't do it again. Well, it happens, Learn in, your Apex. Lesson. It happens in Apex Legends all the time. And the one fan pisses me off though is like, say you quit a game. Like the first time I ever quit a game is because like it, it, it actually happened because I'd already died in the game and or not died, but like I was there and they could have recovered my, you know, my thing my container and taking it off. Right. But they kept skirting around and they left. I'm like, what the hell? So I quit. And then it said, Oh, you quit early. So you have a 10 minute ban before your next game. I'm like, well, screw it. I'm going to turn off the game then because I know when I go on 30, 40 minutes later, like later in the night, that 10 minutes is no longer there. What I think needs to happen in those instances is it that 10 stays minutes there when you get back on. Yeah. It stays when you get back on. So it's like, if you screwed around and you're like, Oh, I quit the game. I'm turning off my console. Well then when you log back in later, that 10 minutes is on there still. So, and you know, that would be a way to really help because a lot of the times I feel like in that situation specifically, you know, you're going to want to quit out if somebody on your team is already effing up and they're just like NFK or, you know, or AFK, not NFK. Yeah. <laughs> like if whatever's going on on your team, if like you need to leave because of that, like, Okay, you'll take that L, but at least when they get back from screwing up the game, they'll have to take that L too and, you know, work around that 10 minute ban the same as you. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times I've been in ranked matches in the past where somebody's just like not present and mm -hmm. we end up getting destroyed. And like you'll report them right off the bat, like, hey, they're not engaging whatsoever. Um, and then you end up losing and you lose like your points and ranked because this guy's an idiot or girl, whoever it is, and is sitting on the back end not doing what they're supposed to be doing in the game. But yeah, I mean, again, I'm all for this, um, you know, absolutely love the idea of doing shadow bans and other things like automatically. So nobody has to complain. And it, the instant aspect of like, if we could have it set up to where it was, you know, if you tell somebody to go screw himself in the game or how much I suck and all of a sudden you're locked out for 24 hours instantly because of that, you know, damn well, if I say that again, I'm likely to get 48 hours or 72 hours, whatever it may be. And then I still can't play. So I think the more we have it at, the better. And I know a lot of people would say, oh, well, it's impeding on my free speech. But you can speak as much as you want. Doesn't mean there's no consequences. Well, and like so. getting these people out of the games or teaching them that it's not appropriate or allowed. You know, if you're if you want to be that kind of person, I guess, and play games, do it in secret away from people. But like 
trying to put a spotlight on the actual users, people might be like, well, I paid for the game. Like, this is unfair. It's like, well, you know what? There's a lot of these same problems in the industry. And if the industry can just reach out to people, you know, playing the games that have that same mentality, like it's not going to go away. You're going to have bad people making games that harbor toxic environments for people to play in. Whereas if you could clean up the player base, you know, that's going to hopefully in the future mean less people are getting into game dev to make it a worse place as well. Like, you know, the one feeds into the other. It's not just, this is only going against the players. Like if you work for a big developer and you get your account ban, you know, and it's yeah. like, Oh, Hey, you know, why weren't you on last night? Oh, I got kicked off. It's like, okay, well maybe we need to look at, you know, why you get kicked off you know what are you bringing to the game we're developing how is that influencing our environment yeah totally agree all right well of course let us know your thoughts on uh all of our social media accounts and uh comments on your opinion on everything we just talked about okay our inflation deflation segment for the week is ghost in the shell uh, it is developed by Exact Production IG. It was published by THQ. It was directed by Kenji Sawaguchi. I got that right. Mm -hmm. It was released October of 1997. It is an action third-person shooter. Uh, reception is around a 7 out of 8, or 7 to 8 out of 10, I should say. I always see the 7-8 and think 7 out of 8 for whatever reason. Um, so, uh, generally speaking, uh, this game is very much along the lines of, of course, Ghost in the Shell. It kind of follows it closely in terms of the, the characters and the organization um, that are present and the overall concept uh, that is Ghost in the Shell. Uh, the difference maker here is that the game is around 12 levels of you hopping into a mech. And I think it's a Fukushima, right? It's a, no, it's a Fujikoma. Tachikoma is like the normal, like little blue tank ones. Yeah. But these mm -hmm. ones are like all red. Yeah. And so, and they look uncomfortable as hell, by the way. And the cutscene where she's like hunkered down, I'm like, could you not have like made them a little more comfortable? <laughs> you know, uh, when I was watching an anime cutscene. But uh, general idea is you have these missions that you have to go on. Uh, so there's 12 of them and you have different objectives. So the first one, you are seeking key codes or pin codes. And you do that by destroying the blue tank ones. So whatever they were called, as you said. And uh, you find these key cards, you get in and you battle a boss. The next one, you have a mission where you have to stop like this terrorist attack and or there's terrorists in the sewer that are loose and you have to go find a terrorist and destroy them. And that's your objective. And the next one, you know, so on and so on and so on. So I, I at first, by the way, I don't know if you had trouble with it at first, but um, the first level I kept getting killed by like the normal guys with guns before oh, anything else. Really? They were ridiculous. Oh, dude, I blew through the first level. So I, well, so it was me getting used to controls and such. And then I learned if I jump and shoot, jump and shoot, I can take care of them pretty easily and not get shot. But if you get shot by those guys, dude, they unload a massive amount of damage compared to like the tanks and the helicopter that are in mm -hmm. that level. And so I did a lot of exploring, just kind of getting a handle mechanics, but you can strafe side to side, which is pretty cool and actually very fluid uh for a ps1 game yeah um the, the jumping controls mechanic, feel great oh oh yeah i mean dude for like this type of game can i uh, like stop real quick let me kind of go back and give like kind of an idea of shell. what the game is for people all right so all right. 
This is a third person action game where you're in a tank. Um, it's like the, the first level is like a big outdoor area with buildings, you know, uh, it's like a dock. There's cargo crates and stuff around. So like it's a big open outdoor map kind of area. You've got helicopters flying around other like automated tanks going around. There are like human being enemies like walking around, although they look pretty huge. Um, and you've got like a machine gun, a grenade. Uh, you could strafe around um, and then you can also like roll up walls. So you can like just be on a wall or on a ceiling like a spider. They're like spider tanks. Uh, you only get like a handful of grenades or like one grenade and then you you one. pick more up in the environment. But it's mostly just like going around shooting. There's no lock on really that I could find like you kind of auto lock on if you're in a certain range, but that's kind of like the basis of the game. Yeah. And so the actual game itself was actually written by the creator ghost in a shell. Uh, so pretty cool in that respect. I mean, to it's have like an original person's... story from the original creator. Yeah. So basically you're playing as a recruit as part of like the public or the public security section nine. Um, and you're investigating like the human liberation front. Like that's the general idea. And then of course you, as Ryan said, the spider looking Fuchikomas uh, that you're in um, to kind of go through the entire game. So um, back to the controls on this, you know, obviously as you kind of went through that first level, uh, the strafing was fantastic. The machine gun component was great. The grenades were obviously interesting to find. Health bar was plentiful, actually, for this type of a game. Super fluid controls. I had no issue with this game whatsoever, control-wise. It was more it's... so getting a basic understanding yeah. of just, like, the enemies and how much damage and that type of stuff. Um, I will say crawling on walls kind of gets a little weird when you're, like, the camera You feel moves. a little disoriented. And sometimes, but... like, going around that 90... Yeah, agree. You kind of like wrap real quick, but it kind of gives you the ability to shoot more at an angle at uh -huh. certain things. Yeah, there were certain enemies that I could shoot from the top of a building like sideways. and It was great. Mm -hmm. um, so the first boss, super easy. Yeah. Uh, second level was a lot of fun as well. Um, I, I only got beat through. the second level. I died to the boss of the second level like four times. I only played a little bit and then baby stuff and breakfast. So <laughs> I couldn't get too far into it, but I got enough out of it to understand like exactly what i was playing and i will say when you compare it to other mech type games i had a great time in comparison to some of those other games like even like gundam games and yeah. Armor core the movement this, is so on spot like it so feels like a really good proto twin stick shooter because like i i've been playing on the ps1 classic so i've got no analogs did you have analog controls for this uh, i use the d-pad for this Okay, so you use the D-pad to turn, but then you can use the R1 or R2, L1 or L2 to do a side strafe. So as you're strafing, you, you can still turn mm -hmm. with the D-pad so that you're basically like twin stick shooting, not aligned to the direction you're moving in. And I just hadn't played a PS1 game where those controls felt so good. And like even being able to like in the second level, you're in a sewer, so you've got like a lot of 360 around you in the tunnel where you can just like quickly swipe up and just be on the ceiling to dodge out of the way of bullets or missiles you can like hold down both to like quickly accelerate backwards or forwards and um yeah you're 
jump, you never had fall damage. Like if you were on a wall and jumped, you wouldn't just like jump from the wall and stick back to the wall. You would actually jump off and gravity would take you back down like the correct orientation. Uh, If you were in like the moving water in the sewer, it would actually pull you forward slowly. You wouldn't just stand there stationary. So there was a lot of stuff going on in this game to really make it feel just great. You know, and when I initially was like, hey, we should play this game back on my head, I was like, man, I bet this game's going to suck. Like, I bet it's going to be bad. I think there's a couple ghosts in the shell games that are surprisingly well reviewed. I think there's one on PS2 that's I have it on. I think I have both actually PS2 and PSP. Um, So it might be something to look into down the road. But so like, I mean, I thought initial first impressions, just thinking ghosts in a shell anime IP game like this is not going to be very good. And then after I was done, I was like, I kind of want to finish this. Like, yeah, me too. Actually pretty good. So um, let's go into the brass tax. Um, complete in box right now is running 135.97. That peaked at 157.51 back in May. Uh, and that's trending up. A loose copy is 53.85. That peaked at 82.49 back in February. That's trending down. Uh, I personally uh, had it loose for the longest time. And I randomly found a guy on eBay who was making like reproduction manuals and reproduction okay. late, like backings. And, uh, you know, cause I don't have the capability to do a manual, but I can do like the backs, no problem. Mm-hmm. So I just reached out. I'm like, Hey, I want to really get a ghost in a shell manual and back. Can you make that for me? He's like, Oh yeah, no problem. Create a fantastic reproduction copy. I'll show you next time. Cause I haven't showed it to you. Um, or maybe I did years ago, but it looks great. And it complements my shelf nicely to have that game on there. So I, it's, a, unfortunately it's got a have good a cover copy. of this game. Yeah, it's really cool. So I unfortunately have a loose copy of a game, but you know, it is what it is. sometimes if you can get that repro manual and, and art insert and still display it feels it, complete. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So that's I deep down know. Yeah, it's reproduction. It says reproduction on the inside of a book, but it's still fantastic to have. And it was fun to still flip through the pages and read everything about the weapons and all that. So I love um, Ghost in the Shell. Like yeah. Standalone Complex is one of my favorite anime series. The movie is an absolute classic. It did not see the new one with ScarJo. But I think that... Um, that was even pretty good too, actually, when I saw it. It wasn't bad. Yeah, This is one of those ones where I don't think a lot of the times we're talking about a licensed game. And it's like, well, you know, this isn't really the best game. Is it really worth it for you? You know. Is it worth it if you're just um, like, you know, like do every Simpsons fan want to get a copy of the Simpsons games, even the bad ones, if they're like a Simpsons collector? You know, sometimes when you've got those, you've got multiple collection groups working towards wanting certain things. And I think in this case where this is such an exceptional game, I can really see why the price is through the roof. You know, it's an old title. It's a good title and it's associated with a really good IP. So there's definitely people who maybe, you know, are on the fringes of one thing or the other that would really want this and drive that price up. Yeah, I mean, honestly, 135 is high for a game. Yeah, I'm not going to say but, that this one's worth it for the complete inbox, but like but loose. For the loose, like it, this game must have been like a forty dollar when it was new game, right? Like or yeah. fifty dollar. I don't know if, how much PS One games uh, were in ninety four. About fifty, forty to fifty, depending on a release. But so this game, I would absolutely pick up loose. 
if you can pick this game up for like 50 bucks, you're doing yourself, you know, get yourself a pat on the back and play a good game. It is only 12 missions, but it's fun. And it's it's actually worth checking out. If you have an emulator of it, great. I guess play that, but definitely check this one out. So I would say this is just right at the $53 mark. I do think the 135 is a little bit inflated, but you know, I've never seen a complete in box one and you got to figure they are pretty hard to come by given which game this is. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll say just right. Yeah. I, I, I will too, because like normally I would say this is, you know, maybe overpriced, but I'm just really blown away by how much fun I was having playing it. So I would say that, yep. you know, going back and finishing this one, I think we'll really, prove it out to be just this right is one that, that you and i should just kind of next time we get together just like play it through yeah i don't know man like as many times as that boss beat me that could take longer than we're gonna have just sitting down true a lot of these type of games well and that's the thing that's kind that was i guess the thing that's kind of the most frustrating is that this is very arcadey in that way where it's like you die game over you can restart that mission again, but you got to go through the whole mission to get to the boss to get another go. There's no just like you died, want to try over, and then you I, start at the checkpoint. It's better than being three missions in and then starting from mission one, though. Yeah. yeah so, you know, it does have that going for it. All right. Well, um, again, I don't know what we're playing next week. We'll figure it out. Tons of games. Maybe we actually maybe we check out Resistance or, you know, one of those games. Maybe keep an eye on that. We'll see. Uh, but this has been episode 212 of the Game Flares podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. <laughs>